The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. And my guest this hour is David Trainer, who's the president of New Constructs, uh, which is an independent research firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks very much for having me, Jordan. Let's uh, start off a little bit before we get specifically into what New Constructs is about. Uh, Give us your sense of how investors are doing these days in researching uh, stocks. Are they all this information out there uh, making them better investors, or is it overwhelming them? Give me a general sense of kind of the the landscape for in- investors these days. I think it's harder than ever for investors because there's such an overwhelming amount of information coming through, and so much of that information is really not designed to help investors as much as it is to generate trading, which is to obviously enrich those folks who uh, allow or who run trading floors and, and, and make money on commissions. And so investors are really facing an uphill battle these days trying to pick out the diamonds in the rough, so to speak, from the enormous amount of information that's available. Yeah. So tell me about new constructs and, and uh, what you do to help investors uh, sort through all that and, and find the diamonds in the rough. We're a different firm in the sense that we don't do the traditional research that you'll see. You don't ever hear us talking about PE multiples or earnings growth rates. Uh, We sort of believe that most of the financial information that's published on companies is not reliable. We like to call it propaganda for that matter. And we specialize and have, have entire organization built around reading the official documents that companies publish to the Securities and Exchange Commission. And in those documents, we're able to gather a lot more financial data as well as very obscure financial data that allows us to get a much truer read on the actual real economic earnings of companies as opposed to their accounting earnings. What what are some of the things that you're seeing in the SEC filings that uh, most analysts and investors aren't picking up on? Well, there's, there's a lot of stuff with respect to off-balance sheet debt. You know, we've got companies whose reported assets, and you know, if, if you ever check out our website, you can see me, see me talking about this on, on multiple media channels. Companies who report their assets, uh, you know, just as an example, at a dollar, and they've got two dollars of off-balance sheet debt. You know, I mean, enormous amounts of hidden liabilities. Same is true for stock options. Lots of options that companies have issued in the past, and, you know, you have to remember that companies are just now having to actually report these options expenses, and the options expenses they're reporting today are paltry compared to what they've done in the past. Naturally, companies took, you know, took advantage of the window of opportunity to basically give away options for free. So there's a lot of work that needs to be done to, to figure out, you know, how many options are actually out there and, and sort of waiting on the sidelines to take advantage of any upward movement in the stock price. There are all kinds of write-downs and hidden charges, uh, inappropriate income being included in, in earnings, and, and you know, that's, that's, that's sort of a, a summary, but it's, it's a very detailed and laborious process, and, and most investors, professional included, you know, don't usually go to the kind of depth that we like to go. Now, supposedly, after uh, Enron and WorldCom and all the various accounting scandals of the early 2000s, you had Sarbanes-Oxley come in 
you got the CEOs having to sign for these financial statements personally and, and all the things that came in with Sarbanes-Oxley. That was supposed to have wiped out all these funny accounting things. Why has that not worked? Well, you know, I think, you know, in, in the world today, it's hard to believe that any one change or even a series of changes is going to wipe out all problems. Uh, you know, it's the Sarbanes-Oxley and some of these new rule changes, they're a step in the right direction, but do they make the accounting system and the corporate financial accounting system perfect? A absolutely not. It's nice to know that CEOs can't get away with saying, oh, I had no idea we were cooking our books yeah. because they have to sign on the bottom line. But the bigger issue at the end of the day is the fact that accounting rules weren't actually ever designed for equity investors. Back in the day when accounting rules were, were created, they were designed for debt investors. And so there are enormous loopholes with respect to how companies report and how they can actually inflate their profitability versus what it really is. Uh, uh, explain to me why that's helpful for bond investors. Why would that be relevant there? Well, bond investors only care about getting their, getting their, uh, their cash flows they needed to cover their payments, mm -hmm. cover their interest payment, right, or their coupon. Yeah. And that, that interest payment is, is, a, is a part of earnings. And earnings statements are more helpful to bond investors than they are to equity investors because the interest expense related to debt is included in earnings. But earnings excludes the cost of capital related to the equity investment. Equity investors don't give money to companies for free. You know, there's an implicit charge there that's entirely overlooked. And so two companies can have the same earnings, the same debt, but one company could have a billion dollars of equity invested in it, another company could have a million dollars. Which company would you think was more profitable? Yeah, you think the bigger one, obviously, the billion dollar one. No, the company that's more profitable is the one that has less capital in it because it's actually earning the same amount of earnings on a much smaller equity base, I see. Correct. So you you got to think about things in terms of the return on the actual capital invested in the business, mm -hmm. and so that that's a big that's one of the big things. You know, another really big thing is this whole options fiasco. The fact that options weren't part of the original income statement for you know for so many years is mainly because the rules didn't call for it. Debt investors don't care about options. Right? Yeah, they're not getting diluted. If, if, if exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that, those, those are just a couple of, of examples. And there, there are a lot of things that, as a debt investor, you've got to be very aware of uh, in terms of making sure that you really understand the property of the business because of, you know, the write-downs and, and I said hidden expenses uh, as well as inappropriate revenue being included in earnings. Now, they've still got to do their work on that. But... Um, at the end of the day, there, there are a lot of gray areas in accounting, and there are loopholes that allow companies to overstate earnings. You know, that's why Enron and WorldCom and Adelphia, that's why these guys got away with it for, for years, you know, and oftentimes, you know, many years before it caught up with them. Talk a little bit about the stock options, because it is such a big area. Uh, what is the effect of having those stock options out there? Does it... A lot of potential dilution of the uh, shares and a lot of potential selling when the options are able to be exercised. Is that the main thing that people should look for as investors? Yeah, you know, I think that I think with, with options, because there's so much misinformation about that, if, if you don't mind, Jordan, I'll kind of go back to a, sort of an armchair example that I used. That'd be good. Uh -huh. Speaking to a, a, a money manager once, because this money manager said to me, he said, David, 
you know, I don't really care about options because at the end of the day, let's say I'm a shop owner, and what I do is I take my money out of my cash register every night, and that cash is what I take home with me every day. So why do I care about options? And I said, dear sir, you care about options because when you give away ownership in your shop, when it comes to take money home at the end of the day, you don't get to take home all of it. If you're giving away an option that gives someone 10% of your company, well, then you only get to take $9 home, and the other dollar goes to, to whomever you've given your option. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that finally opened the eyes of this one particular investor as to why options matter. Options are giving away to employees, or to anyone for that matter, a piece of existing and future profits. And so if the current investor base is 100 million shares and the company gives out 10 million shares, then all of a sudden that investor base only owns you know, about 90% of the stock of the, of the future profits. And so you got to take and, 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 and subtract you know, 10% of all future earnings. It's a little bit more than or a little less than 10%, but you, you, you see what I'm saying. Yeah. When you give out options, you're giving away ownership in the business, which is, at the end of the day, claim to future profits. Can you give me an example of a company that issued a lot of options and then uh, earnings were looking good, everything was looking good, and then uh, the options started getting exercised and diluting and the stock went down as a result of that? I think, I think you see that with, saw that with eBay last year. You know, they, they, uh, it was a company that was on our most dangerous stocks list for, for quite a while, and, and people who, who listened to us on that one made a lot of money shorting that stock. But they were, you know, eBay was a business that everyone thought, oh, it's such a great business, they've got a great model, and, you know, they're going to be so profitable. And our model said they weren't profitable because they were giving away, you know, and I, I don't have the stats in front of me right now. I'll pull them up as, as we're talking, but I think they're giving away around 10 to 15% of revenue in options every year. Mm-hmm. Now, they cut that down meaningfully in 2006, but it still, it still meaningfully affects what their reported profitability is versus their actual profitability because, you know, that company uh, is actually doesn't, you know, investors don't actually own as much of the profits as, as uh, they may believe. So it's like an overhang over the stock is what you're saying because you never know when these things, they get, it doesn't affect the stock until they start getting exercised. Is that the well, idea? Well, you know, you know it, it depends on how efficient you believe the market is. If the market actually understands that in the year 2000, eBay's option expense was 120% of revenue, then you would think that you know the, 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 the stock would be trading much lower sooner. But the market isn't that efficient. And so to your point, Jordan, the market tends to recognize this usually when other financial issues come into play and people realize the business isn't as profitable. Uh, Yahoo is probably the best example of a company that had a huge amount of option expense. And when they had to start reporting option expense, and I think this has been over the last year or so, the stock has really been hurt because the company's options have been a much bigger impact on profitability than people had realized. This is mostly affecting technology companies using options like that in a significant way, isn't it? You know, it, it, you're right. There are a lot of people that issue options, but it was mainly a lot of tech companies that, that were able to lure employees into believing that there was a lot of value attached to these options, because there were. And, and when you, you go back and look over time, the biggest option, I would call offenses, you know, took place in 98 through 2002, really. 
Yeah. For, for example, in 1998, Yahoo, uh, the option expense was 418 million. Their earnings were 26 million. Wow. <laughs> Very good. All right, we're going to come back after this break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest uh, this hour is David Trainer, the uh, president of the independent research firm New Constructs, based in Nashville, Tennessee. We'll be back after this. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Is your job heavenly or closer to hell on earth? Maybe it's time you stop waiting on employers to make you satisfied and learn how to recognize your own career contentment. Jeff Garden and his expert guests show you how every Thursday at 12 noon Pacific when you tune into Career Contentment Radio on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Contentment is yours to control and easier to achieve than happiness or satisfaction. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Succeeding in your business isn't just about making a living. It's a way of life. Hosts Cliff Inenko and Susan Wilson-Solovic discuss the practical as well as the not-so-practical aspects of owning your own business. Tune in every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Succeeding in Your Business right here on the Voice America Business Channel. been listening to the money answer show with jordan goodman if you have a question for jordan or his guest please call us now at 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 now back to jordan welcome back to the money answer show my guest this hour is david trainer who's the president of new constructs uh, which is an independent research firm based in nashville tennessee welcome back to the show david thanks very much Okay, let's get into some of the details of exactly how you go about analyzing your stocks. You talked about uh, all the SEC documents you go through. Um, do you have a, a big staff that's looking at each company? There's just there's such a massive amount of material. How do you sort through all this to come up with what you think are the best and the worst stocks? Well, it's it's uh, it's it's part man, part man, part machine process. I was I was fortunate or unfortunate enough, depending on how you look at it to have had a, an enormous amount of experience in understanding financial statements by going through them manually. I got my start actually as an accountant and was an auditor and you know, in that process realized in, in several meetings that the financial statements 
that we were putting together were, uh, were, it was very important that those financial statements pleased our client, which was the company, and that we could pretty much put whatever we wanted into an income statement, a balance sheet, or even a cash flow statement as long as we noted it as such in the notes to the financial statements. Mm-hmm. So, which most people don't read. <laughs> right. Which people don't take the time to read, despite the fact that if you ever take the time to go to an annual report or a 10K filing, it tells you that the income statement is basically useless, useless unless it is read in conjunction with the notes. Mm-hmm. But Wall Street would rather you just focus on what they want you to focus on because it's a whole lot easier to sell people stock when you can control the message. Mm-hmm. Now, our process is, is very unique because it's built on the best practices of, on, of having gone through thousands and thousands of filings. And so our, our analysts are equipped with special software that we've developed that helps them identify, track, and extract data from filings much more efficiently than anyone can do by hand. Mm-hmm. And that's an important point because, you know, I do a lot of meetings with, with professional investors across the country, and a lot of them are a bit in disbelief of the fact that we can actually run through the original 10K filings for, you know, 3,300 companies and build very sophisticated discounted cash flow and economic earnings analysis models. And it's because we've created a process around it. You know, we, you know, we didn't invent the formulas. We didn't invent uh, the, the notes, the financial statements. Uh, you know, we're sort of like the, the Henry Ford. Henry Ford was to the car industry. We are to the modeling industry. We've built a, a process around making sure we go through, get that data, and put it into a standard model that allows us to have a much better understanding of companies than otherwise. So tell me exactly what is the output of this whole process. What in the individual stock reports you contain? What kind of information is in those things that, that uh, most people probably wouldn't be noticing? Well, when it comes to, to, to our research, you know, investors have a couple of choices. They can get individual company reports that they can uh, buy, buy through our website, or they can get our most attractive and most dangerous stocks, which is essentially our, our best and worst picks. And what you're going to see, for example, in an individual company report is our overall rating. We've created a rating that is based on what we believe to be the risk-reward of the company. And we have, you know, our worst rating is very dangerous. Our best rating is very attractive. And those ratings will go through and, and give investors very unique insights and on, on two key categories. One is the quality of earnings. We're going to tell them which companies have what we call misleading earnings, which means you need to avoid the company because it's reporting that its profits are positive and rising when its real economic cash flows are actually negative and declining. The second component is it's going to tell them what the real return on invested capital is. And that's, that's as we were talking about before, you know, the two companies with one, you know, they have the same earnings, but they have drastically different capital bases. Well, we're taking into account all capital in the business and helping them under, helping companies rank one company versus another in terms of the, the return on invested capital. And our second component is valuation. And we're going to measure the, the risk reward in terms of valuation, in terms of free cash flow yield, price to economic book value, and the growth horizon embedded in the stock price. Those, those three things make up our valuation criteria, and together with the two quality of earnings items, combine, we combine those five criteria to create our overall risk-reward rating, and we do that for all 3,300 stocks. Wow.
Is this something that individual investors are using as well as institutional investors? Yes, yes. We, we have a very strong uh, institutional and, and retail investor following, uh, mainly because we, we make our, 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 our uh, reports available to uh, people um, easily to, to choose on a sort of a pay-per-view basis right through our website. And uh, tell me your website again. Our website is, is www.newconstructs.com. And tell me briefly what they can find when they get there. Well, you can find, you get free samples of our research in terms of, you know, anything that's sort of older than 90 days that we publish, you can look at for free. So if you want to get a better sense of what our reports look like and what you're going to get, you can go in and get those. But you get also be able to click through to a, a location that will allow you to buy our individual company report on any of 3,300 companies. You can buy our latest, most attractive, and most dangerous stocks reports. That's a monthly publication going back for over two years now. And you can buy all the old, you get all the old reports for free, but the most recent ones you can buy from the website. And you can also learn a lot about our process. You know, we're a very open book. We're very transparent because we believe the capital markets will be a better place if investors have an opportunity to understand economic earnings in addition to reported earnings. Explain that concept of economic earnings. It's not something most people would be familiar with. No, you're right. And, you know, you'd be surprised how many institutional investors actually struggle with economic earnings, too, because they, they, they have what I call, uh, they've fallen prey to what I call idea disease, and they get that from watching too much CNBC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and basically, economic earnings is the actual earnings of the business after making all those adjustments that we were talking about previously. Mm-hmm. And in each one of our company reports, you know, we're going to show you not just the rating that I, that I said, which gives you an immediate understanding of what we think about the stock and why, but we're going to go into extreme detail on every component of one of those uh, of those criteria, and there are exhibits included in the report that give you a data trail that show you exactly how we get from the reported earnings to the economic earnings, and every single adjustment in between. And, and so it's, it's, it's a real emphasis on transparency because we have numbers that investors can trust. And no other research firms can actually do that. And so we want people to, we, want to, we, we like to show that off, and, and we show it off in the form of just being transparent. If you can find it from someone else, great, but I don't think you will. How much do these uh, reports cost, the individual company reports or the most attractive and most dangerous? The individual company reports are $50, and the most attractive and most dangerous stocks reports are $250 each. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the track record uh, on both the long and the short side. The track record is, is very strong. In fact, if you go to our website, we have a report on there, it's a special report on the home page that outlines the performance of the most attractive and the most dangerous stocks. And on the most attractive side, basically we're identifying all those companies that we believe to have the best risk-reward in the market. And so what you're getting here is not just, you know, my top picks in a particular sector, as you usually get from most research, you know, most Wall Street research, but we're looking at the entire market. And when we look at the entire market, we pick the best 20 large cap and the best 20 small cap. So each report has 40 ideas. And if you look at the attractive stocks over time, what you'll see is that, the attractive stocks are up, you know, since, well, there's two different dates. In April of 2006, we updated our methodology, and the attractive stocks are up 
versus the S&P, which is up 9%. Mm-hmm. The dangerous stocks, the most dangerous stocks, uh, is, this, is the opposite of the most attractive stocks. What you're getting there are the 40 worst stocks in the market. And very few firms, especially, and I don't know if there's actually another research firm out there that actually makes money on the short side. You know, most people don't even, don't even try to play on the short side. But when you have the, the system and a database of as many companies as we can, we believe we're able to actually go out there and identify what are the worst stocks out there. And though shorting is, is a very difficult thing to do, if you're always staying in the worst stocks, over time you'll do well. And we're actually making money in our, in our uh, most dangerous stocks portfolio. We made 6% since, last, since April of 06. You know, whereas if you were, you know, short the Russell, the uh, the Russell 2000 and the S&P 500, you, you know, you would have lost around 10%. Uh huh. What is the time frame that people uh, getting into these stocks, either on the long or the short side, uh, should have in mind for the idea to work out? Well, it depends. You know, some stocks stay on there for a month. Some stocks stay on there for six months. You know, it, it's hard to say. What we recommend is that people equal weight. You know, if they can easily, they equal weight all 20 large cap and all 20 small cap so that you're, you know, equally putting your money into all those stocks. You know, if, if I had a, a, a crystal ball and could perfectly predict which stocks were going to go up and which ones were going to go up today and which ones are going to go up tomorrow, you know, I, I'd probably be uh, in Bermuda sipping a drink instead of talking to you, Jordan, right? Yeah. Yeah, so you that's know, why you need a diversified portfolio because the, the market often doesn't accommodate you. Exactly, you can be, you know, as Warren Buffett says, you know, you, you can be, the market can be wrong a lot longer than some people can say stay solvent. Mm-hmm. And so it's important. That's why we, that's why we have, you know, at least forty stocks on the list every time. It's important for people to realize that you can't be perfect about picking stocks, and so you need to make sure you you, you look at a group of stocks. And we, you know, as a group, they do very very well. So you're saying, though, that a company can be attractive and undervalued and stay that way for quite a while, or it can be dangerous and, and become more dangerous and become more overvalued just because Absolutely. of investor sentiment, I mean. Absolutely. You know, if, if, yeah, timing is, timing is not something that, that anyone, I think, in the market is, is, is really consistently able to be good at. That's where, that's part of the, the propaganda message that I think Wall Street and most of the major media outlets that's where they really let investors down, and that they make them believe that they have short-term ideas that work on a consistent basis. And, you know, look, there's, to me, this boils down to understanding the difference between a speculator and an investor. And as Ben Graham said, a speculator is somebody who looks to predict the day-to-day psychology of the market. That, I would suggest, is a very difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. An, an investor, though, looks to be able to analyze the long-term profitability of a business over its life. That's what you're talking about. Two very different activities. Yes. Okay, we're going to go to break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is David Trainer, uh, who's the president of New Constructs, uh, which is an independent research firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. And again, their website is newconstructs.com. We'll be back after this.
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Link up with Chris Curtis on WebWise Business and discover the millionaire in you. If it's the web you want, it's the web we've got. And it's the Chic Geek bringing it to you live. Tune in to WebWise Business every Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Radio Network. Get your click on. Get your click on. With the Chic Geek. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. to your laptop, we are Voice America Business. You've been listening to the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answers Show. My guest this hour is David Trainer, who's the president of New Constructs, uh, which is an independent research firm based in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, that does in-depth uh, analysis of all kinds of different stocks based on all the things we've been talking about uh, to give people a sense of whether they're uh, very attractive right now or uh, very dangerous. Let's start with some of the uh, attractive stocks. And before we get to some specific names, David, just tell us some of the criteria that you look for that pop out that in general make a stock uh, pop up to the top 20 of your most attractive list. The first thing for attractive stocks is that they actually have to have high-quality economic earnings. Sorry, forget the reported earnings. We throw that out the window. We focus on companies that have rising and positive economic earnings, as well as a very high return on invested capital by quintile for the entire market. So we want companies who've got strong business models, and we see those business models improving. The second key component is a cheap valuation. So 
terms of risk reward, right? You want companies that don't have a lot of risk of going down because they're already so cheap. Well, that's where the valuation comes from. We like to find companies that that are actually trading at a discount to the existing cash flows. So, for example, a couple of stocks we might talk about may be trading as much as a 50 to 60% discount to existing cash flows. What that means is that the stock price today is implying that the profitability of that business is going to decline permanently by 50 to 60% and never grow again. So you identify companies, the attractive side, the goal is to identify companies for whom the market price predicts a future that is so terribly dismal, while the company's business model, according to our economic earnings analysis, not the reported earnings, but the economic earnings, is actually very, very healthy, viable, and actually improving. And that's why these stocks tend to do well, because they're already beaten, beaten down, even though the cash flows are there and growing. It's basically investor uh, either likes, like or do not like a particular industry, and they throw the baby out with the bathwater sometimes. That happens quite a bit. Yeah. Okay, so let's get into some of your specific uh, most attractive stocks right now, and, and just briefly why uh, these are attractive based on some of the numbers. So first one, a very controversial one, uh, Countrywide Financial, which is the largest uh, mortgage lender out there, has really been beaten up lately. Uh, why do you think that is, is very attractive right now? You know, that's a great example. It's a classic example of of the media frenzy, you know, just going taking a stock down like a pack of wild hyenas. Country Rye, what pe most people don't realize is that this stock has been overly beaten down because it's actually trading at an 80% discount to the existing cash flows. So essentially, the stock price is telling you that this company's profits are going to be 80% lower forever, and it's never going to grow again. Uh, basically, saying it's going to pretty much go out of business. While we show that the returns on capital for this business are amongst the best of all companies in the market. So it's a very strong business model. It's going to see some rough times. It's not going to be as profitable in the past. I'm sorry, today as it is in the past. But the company's not going out of business. And I can guarantee you that profits will probably get probably close to where they are, if not better than where they are in the recent past. So investors that are willing to, to sort of stem, go against the tide can make a lot of money in a stock like Countrywide. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, people would say that uh, the numbers you're looking at from the past were when the housing market was doing great, and now home sales and refinancing activity and mortgages are way, way down and going to go down even further. So, you know, the past numbers aren't that relevant to where we are now in 2007. They're relevant to the extent, and what you're saying is, is, is correct, Jordan. It's absolutely correct. But they are relevant to the extent of understanding what was the true strength of the business model before this bad stuff happened. And there are a lot of mortgage companies that, that are not on this attractive list because those guys didn't have good business models to begin with. Mm -hmm. What we're saying about Countrywide is that this is a very strong business. And, and though they're going to be seeing a cyclical downturn in the housing market, they're not going out of business. Yeah. And they're going to be positioned, better positioned than most mortgage lenders, to actually see a real turnaround when, when, when the market picks back up, as it will eventually. And then investor sentiment changes along with it. So you get the change in the fundamentals, and then the PE expands when the investors start having confidence. It's a combination factor. Is that right? Right. And what you're also able to capitalize on here with Countrywide is the fact that investor sentiment is, a, is unnecessarily negative. It's overly yeah. negative. Yeah. Right? And so all it has to do is recognize that, oh, Countrywide is not going to actually be as bad as we've beaten it down to be. Countrywide's been the whipping boy for the whole, this whole mortgage, mortgage crisis. Yes. 
Yes, okay. All right, the next one on your most attractive list is Safeco, or basically an insurance company. What's the, the deal there? Safeco is sort of is similar to, to Countrywide in that it's trading at a discount to the existing cash flows. It's trading at a 30% discount. So the, the market's implying that its profits are going to decline by 30% uh, permanently. And, again, we see a very strong business. We see rising economic earnings, very high returns on capital, and a, a very solid business, uh, you know, that's not going to go away. Uh, it may not grow like a startup, but it's certainly going to be, a, you know, it's going to be a slow and steady grower, not, not a 30% permanent decline in profits type company. So, again, with what you're seeing in the attractive stocks here is, is just great risk-reward. These stocks are already so cheap that the risk of them going down much more is very low. And if they just begin to trade at somewhere close to parity with their existing profits, you can see enormous upside. And investor sentiment will change as well. It's partly uh, the economic underpinnings, but partly investor sentiment changing. Is that right? Yeah. You know, you know the word, the term we specifically use for investor sentiment is expectations. Mm -hmm. Because a stock price, at the end of the day, if you believe the market is efficient at all, the stock price is, the, is a representation of the market's expectations for the future cash flows available to the owner of each stock, each share of stock. Mm -hmm. And so if the market price is at a value where expectations are extremely low, as is the case with Safeco and Countrywide, then you're buying stocks when sentiment is low or expectations are low. And you want to sell stocks when sentiment and expectations are high. Buy low expectations, sell high expectations. That's the way you make money long term. Have you actually had some stocks go from the most attractive when there are low expectations to the most dangerous when there are very high expectations? Uh, no, that, that really can't happen because in order to be an attractive stock, you've got to have really good and high-quality earnings. To be a dangerous stock, you have to have poor-quality earnings. So no matter what the valuation is or expectations, you couldn't switch from one to the other. I see. Unless things deteriorated, really. I mean, Enron wasn't most attractive at one point, and then everybody found out it wasn't for real. You're saying right. it wouldn't have been attractive in the first place because you would have found out about the problems they had. Exactly. And I think it's really important you know, for, for people listening to understand that when we do our diligence here, we're not kidding around. It's not just about finding a good company or a bad company. You've got to find... To be an attractive company, to be an attractive stock, you've got to be a good company and a good stock. And, and those two things together are, are, are really more uncommon than people believe. Mm -hmm. Being a good company means you've got good, strong business model. Well, that's difficult to determine unless you're really digging through the notes. And to be a good stock, you've got to be cheap. You know, I mean, Walmart is a classic example of a good company that's not a good stock. Because expectations for that company to be able to grow 10% for the next 25 years. You know, there's no reason for an investor to be in a stock where expectations are already that high. Mm -hmm. Go buy something where expectations are for the profits to, to decline as opposed to grow for 25 years. <laughs> because it's already built into the prices of the stock, and it's only setting it up for disappointment is what you're saying if expectations are too high. Exactly. I mean, so, you know, the whole mantra of buy low expectations, sell high expectations, what that means is is that... In order for, when you buy a stock, you've got to believe it's going to go up, right? Mm -hmm. Well, that means expectations have to be higher. So, you know, like, for example, with, with, with Starbucks uh, last year, which was also a company we were publicly negative on, you can see the interviews and articles on the website, 
in order for you to believe that Starbucks should go up, you've got to believe that they're going to be able to grow their profits for you know at a very high rate for a long amount of time. Or for specifically Starbucks case, the stock price already implies that its future profits are going to be 500% greater than the existing profits. So for you to believe Starbucks is a good stock, you have to believe that profits are going to be 600% of what they are today in the future. Because that's already right? built in, you're saying. Yeah. yeah, you've already got 500%. So, you know, the, the idea is, you know, buying stocks is, you know, you want to pick, you want to, you want to pick your, pick the right battle. So if you buy stocks for, for which the hurdle that's set by the market in terms of expectations is extremely high, like Starbucks, 500% improvement in profits, then you've got to hope or believe most of the time, it's more hope than belief, right? Because people haven't really done the work to understand what's, what's going on always. But you've got to believe that they're going to be even better than what the market already expects. Whereas on the attractive stock side, in our, you know, the way we look at the world, let's go find stocks for whom the market has set the hurdle extremely low so management basically can step over it and not have to basically pole vault over it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> makes sense. Uh, one of the other attractive stocks is Marathon Oil. What is the case there? But, you know, we've, done, we've helped people make a lot of money in these oil refiners. We've had Sunoco on here, we've, we, and we've had uh, uh, some others that have done Tesoro on our list, have done extremely well. Marathon Oil is actually trading at a 40% discount to its existing cash flows. You know, people have been wrong about energy for a long time in terms of saying the oil prices are going to crater. Well, I don't think oil is going to go down by price of oil is going to go down by 40% anytime in the near future. You know, if anything, we've seen oil prices continue to get higher, even though we're through the summer. Uh, if they do go down, they may go down 10 or 15%. But you know, for these refiners, uh, you know, they're they're sitting in the bottleneck in terms of capacity, and so uh, you know, the, the refining business is very well positioned. They're 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 uh, not as sensitive to the actual price of oil as people believe, and with a company like Marathon, high quality earnings and valuation as cheap as it is, the risk reward here is, is excellent, and that's why it's one of the most attractive stocks. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my uh, guest this hour is David Trainer, uh, the president of New Constructs, an independent research firm based in Nashville, Tennessee, and we'll be back after this. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. 
The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity, but being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Markets with Doug Cliggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Economy and the Markets, clear thoughts in a complex world. Before every word, there is a thought. Before every action, there is a thought. If everything starts with a leader, what happens when leaders around the world start to think and do things differently? I'm thinking the world will change. Evolve the leader. Evolve the company. Change the world. Join Susan Kavanaugh for Summit Speak. All leaders rise. Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. The Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is David Trainer, who is the president of New Constructs, uh, which is an independent research firm dealing in the stock market based in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome back to the last segment, David. Thanks very much, Jordan. Uh, we just talked about some of the most attractive stocks, basically those with very low expectations and good fundamentals. Uh, now let's switch to the other side, which are the most dangerous stocks, uh, which are those that have, uh, I guess, deteriorating fundamentals, but very high expectations. Before we get to some of the names again, let's, what are some of the specific things people uh, would find in your dangerous stocks list? It's the uh, flip opposite of the attractive stocks. So every dangerous stock has a very expensive valuation. And kind of going back to the analogy before, the hurdle for the future cash flows in these stocks is, is, is sometimes absurdly high. For some companies, the current stock price implies that they're going to have to grow profits for more than 100 years. All right, so that's, that's a bad thing. The second thing that we throw on top of that, which is equally as bad, is misleading earnings. Every one of the stocks on the most dangerous stocks list is telling the world that their profits are positive and rising when their actual economic earnings are, de- are negative and declining. And a lot of times, uh, you'll see that the, the, the amount, the dollar value of the decline in actual economic earnings is multiples bigger than the rise in the reported accounting earnings. So misleading, we mean, when we say misleading, it's misleading in a pretty big way. And valuation high is usually means that the valuation is really high in a pretty big way. And, and that's why when you combine these two factors together, you see that our actual dangerous, our dangerous stocks go off and go down much more often than up. 
When, do you actually hear back from the companies when you put them on your dangerous list and, and they dispute your figures and say you don't have it right? Funny you should ask. We get that quite often, uh, to be honest with you. And it's, it's, uh, it's almost embarrassing for some of these guys because I'll get a call from a CFO and they'll say, where did you get this number about our off balance sheet debt? And I'll say, Mr. CFO, maybe you should look on page 254 of your 10K. <laughs> uh-huh. And the conversation ends very quickly. You know, and, and it's, and, you know, I've had even had, had some companies try and be very overbearing and threat to sue us, some of the larger companies. Oh, well, you know, how you can't say that? And I say, well, you know, if we want to go in front of a judge, I'll just quickly say, look on page 175 of the 10K, and you'll see that there's $26 billion in underfunded pension liabilities there. And so we do get disputes quite often, and companies are often incredulous about the fact that someone's actually doing this work. Uh-huh. I just can't believe it because they're so used to, especially some of these large cap companies, they're so used to the investment banks and Wall Street firms kissing their tails in the hopes of getting some banking business that they're, they're oftentimes outraged that someone has actually gone through and done some real research and is brave enough to speak about it. <laughs> well, you're not trying to get investment banking. I guess that's one of the advantages of your firm is that you are independent. You're not trying to get investment banking business, right? Exactly. We're, we're an independent research firm. We're not an investment banking firm. We're not a broker-dealer. We're not trying to get people to list their shares with us or trade shares with us or try and get banking deals from the companies. We're completely independent. And that's, you know, that's part of why you know, our work is so unique. Ninety percent of the firms out there are not independent. They're not doing this kind of work. They don't make money selling research. Wall Street loses money on research. Most people don't realize that, that research is, is a huge cost center for Wall Street, Wall Street. It's an investment that they hope to get a return on via investment banking revenues. I mean, supposedly, after Sarbanes-Oxley, there's a Chinese wall between research and investment banking, and they never speak to each other, and there's no relationship between each other. You're saying that that hasn't worked. No. I, I, I spent several years on Wall Street. I was on the inside. I was a, I was a, I was a research analyst. And I was fortunate to actually have uh, interaction with multiple departments inside Investment Bank, and I was with the, I, I've been I've, I've I've worked with several different major Wall Street investment banks, bold bracket firms, and I can tell you the Chinese Wall is not a Chinese Wall. It could, it could easily be stepped over by you know a midget. <laughs> All right, it's it's not um it, it's it's a joke. You know I remember, if, uh, for example, even today. There's, there are very few, if any, analysts out there that publish a report, a new report on a company, an initiation report, a detailed report, that doesn't first get reviewed by the bankers. Mm-hmm. The problem, and it wasn't, and Sar, by the way, Sarbanes-Oxley does nothing for the Chinese wall. The Spitzer settlement, which fined the banks, is what's supposed to address the Chinese wall issue. And get this, this is unbelievable. Before the Spitzer, Spitzer raised the curtain on this, Research analysts who were supposed to be providing objective opinions were actually being compensated from the proceeds that the investment bank made on IPOs and secondary offerings. Yeah. So basically, you know, and I was at you know I was at a firm where um, you know there was a big fine, and I, and I remember specifically that research analysts would joke about how bad these companies were, and yet they were going to be going public for some sort of valuation. And it is. Slightly better now today than it was before, but the conflict still exists in a huge way. And the Spitzel settlement has done very little to make Wall Street research actually focused on the best interest of investors. Wall Street's out there to make money for Wall Street. Investors need to beware, mm-hmm. not believe. 
Uh, let's talk about uh, three particular companies that are on your most dangerous list. Certainly one of the bigger names out there is AT&T. Uh, why is that so dangerous? Well, part of it is because they, they've got a huge amount of, of off-balance sheet, uh, underfunded pensions. But specifically, uh, AT&T said you know, that their reported earnings in the last fiscal year were around 2600 when we show they actually lost 70 I'm sorry 22.6 billion and we show they actually lost 7.6 billion on top of that the current valuation implies that revenues are going to be 270% greater than they are today so again we're seeing their bad risk reward in terms of an expectation in a in a company whose profits you know you know, AT&T, Ma Bell, they've been around for a long time. There's not that much growth left. These guys are happy if they don't lose money mm -hmm. in a market as saturated as they are today. And, you know, it's, they've been really historically serious value destroyers. You know, we don't really show AT&T ever really making any real money. On top of that, they've got $13.7 billion in underfunded pensions. It's not you know, really reflective of the stock yes. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take it. You know, that's that. The, the market value of the company is 166 billion. So you're talking, you know, a little less than 10 percent is is basically off the books uh, owed to someone else. Mm -hmm. Okay, I quickly want to get on to BlackRock, which is uh, probably one of the most hyped stocks around. Uh, a big crowd around the, the post trying to buy into it, and it's fallen since. What, why is that? Still BlackRock, BlackRock's been in our, on, our, on our list for a while. And again, the, the, the stocks we're talking about on both the attractive and dangerous side are from our September report. It's important, I think, for listeners to know that our October report will be coming out in about a week. October 5th, I believe, is our target date where that we will release that to the public. Uh, so these are last month's, some of the last month's stocks, and a lot of these stocks remain on the list. BlackRock has been on there, AT&T's been on there for a few months now. BlackRock is an even bigger offender in terms of misleading earnings and expensive valuation than AT&T. BlackRock's stock price implies that its, that its profits are going to grow 1,300% or be 13 times greater than what they are today. Oh. On top of that, they show they made $69 million bucks, and we show they lost $1.2 Incredible difference. Wow. <laughs> Well, let's, let's, uh, we don't have time for the last one, but just in the, uh, just summing up briefly, uh, just kind of give investors the overall idea about what New Constructs does and what they should look for in their investments. I think I think investors need to realize that the most research out there isn't out there to help them make money. It's out there to help the people publishing the research to make money. And in order to trust research, you need to make sure that the companies publishing it are doing the diligence to go through the actual SEC filings, the, the, the filings that companies submit to the Securities and Exchange Commission, and that those people are reading the income statement, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, and most importantly, the notes, where companies hide important financial facts critical to understanding the real profitability of the business. Very and if you're not doing that work, you're not doing your real diligence, and you're just playing with your money. It's really risky. Very good. Well, it's been really fascinating. I appreciate being with uh, David Trainer, the president of New Constructs. You can find out more at his website, newconstructs.com. Thanks so much, David. Thank you very much, Jordan. I enjoyed it. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.